1 Peter chapter 4. Bill took us through chapter 3 last week. A beautiful discussion. I won't go back and do a lot of review. You can look at the, at the, uh, on YouTube or on the website. Father, we pray that as we open your word, you would open our hearts. And speaking of sealing things, that you would seal in our hearts the things that matter. In a sense, Lord, that we would not, we wouldn't drop them, we wouldn't lose them, we wouldn't be confused about them, we would not be uh, infiltrated with so many other thoughts that they take us away from the thing you want us to think about and consider. Lord, give us sharp Holy Spirit anointed minds and hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 1 through 6 right now. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, which is chapter 3 and beyond, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them to the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel is preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Well, tempted to sin. The temptation to sin, it says, uh, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. You know, what's the temptation that I would be addressing here? It's the one that Peter addresses here specifically, but it's not, of course, the only temptation, is the temptation to fit in and to be like everybody else. Sometimes in Christianity, the goal seems to be among Christians to try to fit in to everybody else without making any waves or being very different. I didn't know that's what Jesus came to do make us fit in to be just like everybody else. Now, being weird for weirdness' sake, he didn't also do. We're not here to be weird in some human way. I'm already weird in a human way. I don't want to add to it, right? (laughs) But we are different. But this thing about temptation, in every temptation, James 1, 13 through 15 tells us, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Well, why am I going that direction right off the bat? Because it's an intriguing thing that's being discussed. And the evidence of being a true child of God is a desire to not sin. If you're truly born again of the Spirit, you are not perfect and will, are not above everybody else and better than anybody. But if you are truly born of the Holy Spirit, 
there lives within, joined to your spirit with God, there's a deep desire. It might need to be cultivated. There's a desire to not sin, to overcome sin. And so, for that person who cares about these things, it gets our attention when we hear the words, ceased from sin. Whoa. Because we get it. We get it. Sin is not bad because it's forbidden. You may have heard this before. God didn't sit up in heaven and make a list and say, I've created these people, and one of the things I love is to watch them squirm under pressure to not do things that come natural to them. So let's see. You know, no illicit sex, no drug use, no getting drunk, no, what, what's other fun stuff that, you know, that I can say, no, because God's the big killjoy and meanie in the sky. No. Sin is, uh, many people look at him that way, no question, the God of the Bible. They would look at these verses that way. Are you enlightened? Has a light turned on for you? Sin is not bad because it's forbidden, what is it? It's forbidden because it's bad. You see, what's being talked about here, he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, cannot be talking about general suffering um, ends sin in a person's life. Because we know there are people through history right now today, maybe in your life, who have circumstance and all they did was get angry, frustrated, and vindictive. Am I right? Is that true? Does that ever happen to anybody? Has it ever happened to you? <laughs> so it can't mean that people do sin greatly after suffering by circumstances or others. Not always, but therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, Suffered for righteousness. It was a necessary thing in Christ, and he suffered for doing good. And so the Bible tells us right here, Peter tells us right here, arm yourself. Arm yourself. Arm yourself. That's a scabbard and a blade in case my physicality isn't very clear. Arm yourself with what? Mm -hmm. The word of God, the same mind. Well, what's wrong with my mind? <laughs> we don't have enough time. <laughs> you know, when you think about your mind, you wish that you could. Some, sometimes we wish, oh, gosh, I wish I had Gail's math mind. I'm glad God put it in her, or we'd be in real trouble with the math we need in our, in our life and bookkeeping. She's got a really great math mind, but I think, what if I really wanted to understand math deeply? If I could have the mind of Albert Einstein just for a few minutes, but you know, I can't. He can't put that in me. Even if he was alive today, he couldn't be in me, and just because he could write it on the board and talk to you doesn't mean it goes into your mind and you understand it. Am I right? E equals MC whatever. Okay, what does that mean? So how about you look at artwork and you look at a, a, a Rembrandt or a Michelangelo and you go, oh, if only I could have him just come into my mind and give me the ability to draw, to do art like him, you know. Or, you know, what if I had the, could have Joel Rosenberger come into me with musical ability, you know, to help me play the guitar and all the other instruments he plays. 
but he can't. They can and enlighten you from the inside out. They can't do that. Oh, to make money, if I could just have Elon Musk's brain. No, you can't. No, you don't. <laughs> I don't have his wallet. I don't have his money. I don't have his mind. And yet, we are told in Corinthians 1.16 that we have the mind of Christ. Now here it's talking about arm yourself with the same way of thinking, the pattern of thought. But it also includes the fact that we can have the mind of Christ within us. And so what we want to do is arm ourselves. Arm yourself. Don't bring a butter knife to a bazooka fight. Are you with me? Don't bring a butter knife to a bazooka fight. I need something greater than my mind, and I've got that in Christ. Philippians 2, 5 through 9, very famous verses, but worthy of repetition. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every other name. Man, that is really amazing. What Paul tells us in a more uh, a simple way than that is in Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Jesus is the source of good. He is the absolute truth. He is goodness. And Jesus in Matthew 16, 23 said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That sounds like arming yourself with the mind of Christ, denying yourself, picking up your cross and following him. We won't be sinning if we deny ourselves picking up our cross, which is denying yourself will that's in conflict with God. Picking up your cross isn't, I got in a car accident and broke my leg in a permanent way so that I have to walk with a walker or a cane or, uh, or even being in a wheelchair. That's not your cross to bear. People talk about any kind of malfunction in life as their cross to bear. That's not what it's speaking about. The cro- bearing your cross is denying your own will to take sovereignty over God's will in your life. It is Jesus in the garden. Father, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, that I don't have to drink it. Let it pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's taking up your cross. Jesus was already taking up his cross before he got to the physical cross. Yes, that's important too. It's not denying that. So we won't be sinning if we deny our will that's in conflict with God. Will this be a permanent end to sin in my life, Rick? Yes. (laughs) Well, when you die, die. (laughs) You know what I mean by die, die? When you don't just die to yourself, but when you stop breathing on this earth, it'll be permanent. 
you'll permanently be over, have overcome sin, <laughs> and it's not heaven till heaven, sorry. So verses 2 through 6, this is not only what unbelievers do, just party hardy and act outrageously. It's not, the Bible doesn't speak that all unbelievers do this. There were religious Jews who piously lived in self-righteousness and don't touch, taste, touch. They were very religious and faithful to their little rules, but they were also self-righteous, and that was a problem. There's other religions where people did stay away from some of these things with a false sense of piety. There were philosophers in Athens, etc., and who thought they were greater and above, but all these things imploded. People who thought they were superior are still do by intellect and character, their own character, and, and pride is as much a work of the flesh as unrestrained partying, right? But predominantly, the way men follow their natural fallen desire of nature is being listed here, and it is still common all over the world. Drunkenness has been around for a few years, a long time. And what good has come from drunkenness? Well, DUIs, deaths, car accidents, and other kinds of accidents, adultery that happens when people get out of control, destruction of property, and destruction of families. And yes, the opioids and all the other drugs are in, in, in all, on the rise to the top, but alcoholism is still huge. About 88,000 people a year die of alcohol-related causes in the United States of America. But additionally, uh, and the King James uses this word for abominable idolatries or lewdness and uh, lasciviousness, unbridled desire, uh, unbridled desires. Now, here's the thing. We don't need to put down other people or shame them to understand this. Are you with me? At least you're thinking about this. I'm not, we're not here, and he, this isn't, Let's put down other people. If you want to understand this well, think about it's not pleasant. <laughs> think about your own thoughts, your worst own thoughts, the things that come into your mind. Now, we're not talking about anybody else but you right now. In your thoughts, if you allowed your thoughts to go and take control of your life, Nobody else, you, me, where would those take you? Pretty sad? That and more. Imagine yourself given over to any desire that comes up within you, completely ruled by it, unbridled. Where would you be? You wouldn't be sitting here. I would be in jail or dead. Most people do still have some boundaries, but cultural boundaries move, and so then do individuals' boundaries move when the culture moves if for people that have no anchor to their soul. If you don't have an anchor and the ocean's moving and the current's going a different direction, you, just, you might not move at the head of it, you'll move at the tail of it, but you will move with the waves, with the current. Unless you have an anchor to your soul. Restraint is not restriction of joy. It is self-control rather than something else controlling you. So when people laugh at you or mock you for having restraint, 
you should not be offended by that. You should be glad. But they think it's strange, it says. Jerry did. A few days after I got saved, my friend Jerry Vines, who was leading me down the primrose path of drugs, I've, many of you have heard my story, and he comes over, I said, Jerry, I'm not getting high anymore, and I'm not doing that stuff, and uh, I've come to Jesus, and I believe he's the Savior. And Jerry says, Rick, when you break your leg, we put you in a car or an ambulance and take you to the hospital, and there are doctors that set your leg and make your leg right, work right. And Rick, when you break your brain and your mind, there are other kinds of doctors that can help fix that. That's what he said to me, of course. He thought I broke my brain. He thought I went nuts. So in the next 10 years, we spent intermittent time together. I even had him in my youth ministry house with me for a little while. was reaching out to Jerry, lost contact for a while. 10 years later or so, I meet him on the street. Me, who broke my brain, and he, who was a genius. Jerry was a genius, but he's barely reflecting. You know, he knew me. I said, Jerry. He goes, oh, hi, Rick. Um, hey, could you, um, he had cat change in his hand, and he said, could, could, could you get me 50 cents? I got to get on the bus. And his glazed, burnt out on social security because he, he his, I was following this guy. And those who were following that direction were made to feel ashamed and stupid for turning to Jesus and becoming a goody-goody. So those who ran with us can't see it and think you're weird. Uh, If you're enduring being ostracized or rejected by people who don't understand that you're following Jesus, maybe that's a good thing. And if you fit, listen carefully, if you fit in everywhere just fine, maybe you're a chameleon. Now, I'm not talking about purposely making yourself not be likable to people or be able to relate to them. If you, are, if you make problems everywhere you go and you cause conflict and you claim it's persecution, it might be because you're obnoxious. <laughs> so don't be obnoxious. But on the other hand, if you fit in everywhere without ever a problem, maybe that's not a good thing. Maybe you're a chameleon. You change colors with the whatever's around you, the environment around you. Yeah. So, for all who suffer rejection, remember this. There's an accounting coming, which that doesn't make us go, the true Christian doesn't go, yeah, I can't wait to see you suffer. That's not my heart towards Jerry. My heart is still broken for my friend Jerry Vines, my best friend. My heart breaks when I think about some of the people that I was close to. My heart breaks for him. That's the heart of God. But there's an accounting coming. And we on Easter, we talked about it on, on Resurrection Sunday. John 16, the Holy Spirit convicts every person of sin and righteousness and judgment. And you can listen to that study because I detailed some things that the Holy Spirit were... Tr- we are not thinking that our words are so clever and so good that we're so powerful in ourselves that we are going to influence people beyond any measure of humanity. We believe the Holy Spirit's already talking to people, and it's up to them to either choose to listen to him or to choose to reject him, just like it was a choice for me. And I'm no better than anybody, 
but I know that God speaks to people even when they tell you he's never spoken to me. I believe God more than I believe people. I just do. And I have a right to, <laughs> to believe God more. than doesn't mean you're putting people down. just means you're, you know where you stand. He is the ultimate judge of the living and the dead. And that verse 6, for this reason the gospel is preached to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Boy, I think is the best. You know, in chapter 3, Bill told us in verses 19 and 20 that proclaiming to the imprisoned was proclaiming the victory Jesus had, not evangelizing them. This word here is evangelizio, which means that we spoke to people who were dead, probably means we spoke to people who were spiritually dead without Christ or people who have died and people who have died to themselves and turned to Christ through faith and the water of baptism pictures that and does more for that. And I hope you've been baptized and if you haven't, you should. Be baptized to stand with Jesus and believe in his power in your life to live a new life. So those who've died and are now in heaven, they listened. Those who died and didn't are in hell. I may not be certain on what that means. Others have talked all about it all over, and the, biggest, the best understanding seems to be that those, we, we, excuse me, the gospel is preached to those who are dead. The people that you've spoken to, that Peter spoke to, that the gospel went to, they received the gospel, some of them, and life came to them, and their death did not end them. Their death sent them on their journey to heaven. I'm not certain of that, but I'm certain of this. There is an ultimate judge of every person's ultimate choice. And we are also certain of this, verses 7 through 11. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers, and above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable. To, <laughs> be better than what I just said. Be hospitable. Don't spit on people. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion. All right. What are we certain of? The end of all things is at hand. The end is near. The end is near. How long have people been holding signs like that? Well, it's nearer than it was last week. It's nearer than it was last month, last year, last decade, and last century. And so is each and every one of us our earthly life. James, you're 21, so it means you have 50 to 60, and if you really are lucky, if it is lucky, you know, you could have, the end is near. It doesn't feel near right now, but it is. So if you're 20, you got 60. If you're 30, you got 50. If you're 40, you got 40. If, I mean, things go well. It, if you're my age, and those of you who are old, <laughs> you're dead. Is that what somebody said? If you're my age, if you're my, my wife said that, she must have looked over our insurance policy. <laughs> if you're my age, it could be any time. If for some strange reason I outlive my family members by a long shot, 
I could, I could have, I could have 20 years. It's very unlikely for me. Am I crying about it? Not at all. You know, I could have 10 years. Do you understand what I'm saying? People go, well, he didn't, he doesn't, you know, he's not coming soon. You know what? He's coming soon for everybody in this room. And nobody outlives it. Think. Doesn't matter if he's coming as soon as some of us think he is. He's coming for you. And it isn't that long for many of us. And those of you who are sitting there go, well, it is for me. You know, that goes away pretty quick. It just runs. You don't run and catch that. What you hold on to right now as a young person, you don't hold on to it. It runs away from you. Life. But not party hardy because, you know, make a dead good corpse. You can enjoy the beauty of Jesus with you so that if you live a very long life, you'll look back and say, thank you, Jesus, for being with me and the way that you used my life that really mattered. And instead of saying, man, I wish I would have listened earlier to Jesus. So the end is near. When are you going to get serious? Whoever you are, whatever age you are right now, when are you going to get serious if not now? If you're not serious about your faith? I don't mean somber, depressed. I mean serious. Like this is real. This matters. I have something in life. You know, everything that comes at you from the culture to confuse you about what's truth or not truth or my truth versus your truth is to keep you, it's more than just each one of those issues. It's not each one of those issues. It's to keep you from focusing on Jesus and how real he is and how much he wants to guide your life and give you direction. You're not going to fix all that. But what is God doing with you? Are you clear to the degree you can be? Are you looking for him to be clear with you? It says, above all else. Well, excuse me. I'm going to hold off for a minute. No, I'm not. Above all else, every translation that I found, without going into really weird translations, says the words, above all. Above all, above everything else, have fervent, love for one another. And that word fervent is, we get the word intent from that. So love one another with intent. So intentional, be intentional. God does not ask us how to to say, please feel this way. Open your, there's a few places that talks about feeling in the scriptures in the New Testament. So I'm not gonna say it never speaks to that because that would be wrong. But it puts it in a healthy context, not just run with your feelings, ever. It tells you how to feel, but more than how to feel. The Bible tells you how to think, what mind to put on, and how to act. Because your feelings are like a dog's tail. You don't want the tail to wag the dog and lead the dog. You You grab the dog by a collar if you're walking a big dog through some place where there's things you don't want him to knock off with his tail. You don't chase him, chase his tail. That's really fun. That You end up knocking things over along with his tail. You grab the dog by the collar, take him by his, the leash close to his head, and you lead his head because his tail has to follow his head eventually. They do kind of sway, don't they? 
So do your feelings sway. Take your head and go in the right direction. Take your head and your heart belongs with your head. Decision making. Choose. Love. For love covers, and the word is plethora, covers a plethora of sins. It's like multicolored, multi-shaped, you know, kind of like pinatas. Some will get that. From Proverbs 12.10 it comes, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers a multitude of sins. Not covering before God and hiding to keep people from knowing something that needs to change, but it talks about in the relationship horizontally with others, letting love help and heal in a relationship where you don't have to uncover something, but you can help make it better. And if you struggle to know where that is, you just need to have counsel and talk to somebody and get some help from other Christians. But this is not covering up sins that need to be exposed. There's places that talk about that, but this is not you and me picking at each other instead of allowing healing to happen. Are you with me? Are you catching one of relationships? You may have noticed that in media, expose shows uh, are not looking to help heal and cover but sensationalize demonize and ostracize anyone and everyone ripping on people it's like we we are a culture because it's human nature as it goes down to its lower level that just can't wait to find somebody to attack don't do that don't be a part of that in any way shape or form ripping on people don't go there and especially in your own role there. God gives us each a portion of different gifts and callings, but the love of God and hospitality here, generosity to us seen and exhibited by some in this church in a way that blows my mind. I do use those 70s term. I don't know what the term would be today. I'm so far gone that I don't know. But um, it blows my mind. It amazes me. It, it, it thrills me when I see the love in this body, we're not perfect. I don't know if we're, if we're hitting on all cylinders, but I see a lot of people loving and reaching out, not only to me and my wife, but to each other, which is even more joyful. You know, pastors get a lot of kudos. Yeah, people say pastors get a lot of heartache. I have not experienced that. I think people know I'm so weak that I just fold up my tents. I guess they're so easy on me. Probably lay it on Bill, but, which is fine with me. Uh, but <laughs> he's a young man. He's got strong shoulders. Uh, I don't. I don't feel any of that. I don't feel any of that. I feel a great deal of love, and I know that I couldn't do what I do and have done what I've done, and be able to continue what I'm doing without people like you showing me grace and kindness. And I'm not trying to. I don't want your vote. I'm already the pad pastor. <laughs> I don't want to raise. I don't want anything. I want to say thank you. And I want to thank you for what you do for each other and for people that come in. It's a beautiful thing. So it's, there's a plethora of that going on. We can always do better. And for those of you that this is a struggle, um, in those days, think about this. As a traveler came through, and this is talking primarily, it focuses on one another in the church, the body of Christ. Of course, in that culture in Israel, uh, before Peter's to the whole all over the world, you know that when a traveler came into town, he went in the city square and waited for somebody to invite them in. You know, there were inns, but sometimes the inns were really houses of ill repute. 
as well. And so you'd wait for some brethren to invite you into their home and take care of you. And of course, our culture's different. It may not be reasonable. This is very interesting. In Bangula, the south of Malawi, so the poorest country in the world, the poorest section of the country, but and the, and the most mosquitoes and all that, not when I'm there. And uh, um, just a really rough area to, to live in. And yet the community there... You walk down the street at night. Gail said, I've never felt safer in a place walking down the street. So one day I'm, I'm, before she came, I'm with a guy who's a school teacher. And he says, I want to take you out to this school and show it to you. We can get on bikes and ride them. I have a bike at home. We need to get a bike for you. We walked towards a building, a, a complex of some things. There was actually a, it was a hospital building and some uh, meeting rooms things. And there was uh, some kind of meetings going on and bikes over there. And he walks up to this guy with, with a bike that's coming that way and says, blah, 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 blah. And the guy goes, blah, 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 blah. He goes, blah, 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 blah. I go, okay. The guy gives him the bike. So we got a bike for you. And I said, uh, oh, so you know that guy? Nope, I've never met him. You never met him? And you borrowed his bike? Yeah. I told him I'd leave it in such and such. I said, you do that here, huh? He goes, yeah. We, this is a community where, you know, somebody steals your sheep or your cow or your goats, the rest of the community, they don't want a thief around stealing their goats. Okay, vigilanteism is a problem, okay, in our culture and anywhere it can be a culture. You know, we know the problem of vigilanteism. But when you have a place where you don't have policemen and you don't have, and, and it hasn't turned south like we've had here, I'm talking about a culture that's grown communities of people, villages and stuff, they police themselves, and you don't you steal from that community someone in that community you've stole from that community and you better run they're going to stop you because they're in it together so the bike thing he goes yeah and then we decided not to go get his bike but he was we were going to do something else so he sees a kid across the street an 8 year old kid and he goes hey hey and the kid comes over, and he goes, blah, blah, blah. And the kid goes, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, blah, blah, blah. And the kid takes the bike and walks away with it. And I go, so now where's he going? He goes, he's going to go put the bike at my house where I told that guy it would be when we're done. That's what it was. And I go, and you know what will get there? And he goes, yes, I know what will get there. Yeah, you know this kid. No, I've never seen this kid before. So you see, their hospitality was a little easier we have outsmarted ourselves in our country, in our culture, in the Western world, haven't we? In a lot of ways. Now, here's what you can do about that. You can't fix that. We can't do everything. But you and I can reach beyond our comfort zone. I can look for someone I don't know, even in this church, or that I don't know very well, and invite them to coffee. I can invite them to my house and get to know them. I can intentionally reach out and love other people, even if they're different than me. God's grace goes in all directions, the manifold, various, plethora of ways. And then when you speak, make it count. Speak as the oracle, the mouthpiece of God. And that actually means divine and or brief. So I know. <laughs> Me and Bill know. Give true words when you can. Make your conversation count. This doesn't mean be fake and feel like you have to force a conversation. Don't do that. On the other hand, there's some of us that need to, here's a simple way 
to do and help others do it. Get their story. When you're with somebody and you meet them, tell me your story. Tell me your story about how you came to Jesus. Tell me something in your life that he's done for you. Um, you shouldn't have to be embarrassed to ask that. You're not cornering them and forcing them, but, you know, be cool. But get their story and share your story, a piece of it. When I ask people to come up here and share their story, and you're all welcome to come to me or Bill and say, I'd like to share some of my story. We don't want you to share your whole life story. We're not saying, tell me about from 3 to 60, okay, or 40 even. We want you to tell a part of the story you can do in 8 to 10 minutes that tells us about how God worked in your life, about something God did in your life and showed himself to you. You're all welcome to do that. It may be your salvation story or part of it. That's fine. Don't feel obligated when when we talk about telling your story that you have to go through every detail of your life. Quite frankly, you don't want to hear every detail of my life, do you? I could start right now. I mean, I have it all recorded in my mind. We don't want to hear all your whole, every detail of your life in a 10-minute time or in a coffee conversation. We want to hear some of it. What's important to you? Are you able to focus on something like that? Learn, learn to do that. Learn to ask people that. Get their story. Be willing to listen longer than talk longer. And, and this is, I'm preaching right now, so I get to do whatever I want. No, I don't. I care about that. But we're talking about in one-on-one and in family conversations. It's such a great thing. Malachi 3.16 says these words. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. Is that great? There's scribbling going on. I hear these guys talking about me and what I've done in their life. And I'm recording. He knows everything already. So it's for your benefit and my benefit to have that verse. So we go, wow, this matters. Have conversations that matter. Stop being, and I'm talking to somebody, not everybody. I understand that. Stop being so afraid of seeming over spiritual that you never say anything that matters. Because you're afraid people will think you're too spiritual. We are not. Now, we go up and down. We're like going a teeter-totter. We go like a pendulum. We need help with each other. But it's a big deal. We, we just need help with each other. You're not going to be perfect at anything. Get better at it by trying it. And even, even failing But don't just sit there in your life and go, well, I can't because I might not. Or I might do this too much. It's really shooting ourselves in the foot when we do that. God wants to expand his kingdom through us, and it's nothing about us. It's about him. In the end, it's always him. It's not me, and it's not you. So the end of all things is a hand. We'll close with this, but there's just a couple minutes There are good reasons to believe that we're in the last days. Number number one is not. Now, I want if you weren't listening to anything else, shame on you. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I wouldn't blame anyone for not listening to me, but I hope you'll listen to God's word, and that's what we're doing here. Somewhere, try to find His word in it. Number one, the number one reason that I believe we're in the last days is not the demise of culture. 
That is not the number one reason. There's been demises of culture. Peter's talking about it right here. In 2,000 years ago, it looked pretty bad there. It's been all the way through. Gail's reading about, she reads about everything. I, if I was going to have my mind, it would be, she's read about recently 1700s England. You know, you watch, you watch um, what's the show, Oliver Twist and these other kids, and it's very romantic and endearing, but do you notice that uh, the, the orphans and stuff are living like rats? And, re- and nobody loves or cares about, not nobody, but there's just a terrible, terrible scene in the, the serfs and the people on the low end of culture, uh, whatever color, all colors, all sizes, all shapes, men, women, children, completely living in horrible poverty, and the elite not caring, they step right over them. That was real. And it's not just England, and we're not railing on England, but I mean, it was America too, and it was go to other countries... <laughs> There's too much to tell through history. So is there a demise? Does the Bible talk about the demise of culture in the last days? It does. I didn't say it wasn't on the list. I said it's not number one. Number one is the regathering of Israel. God consistently said, I will set up, we read it on Wednesday night in our Bible study, Isaiah 11, 11, speaking of a future day at the end, he will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The ultimate waving of a flag is God waving the flag of his identity, and he's not the nation of Israel. He's the God that's how much you fail me. I'm going to keep my word, and the whole world's going to see you and know that I'm real. Hello, here's God saying, I am that I am. That's what, we're not looking at the Jewish people above other people. We're looking at the God who promised that he would show the world who he was through the nation of Israel. That would be number one in my best understanding of Scripture. Just as he promised, as nations rose and fell and no longer exist that were powerful world-ruling empires, God says, I'll keep the remnant of my people and they will be assigned to you. And it's also assigned to you not only that he's coming. It's also assigned to you not only that he's coming. It's assigned to you that he can keep you. If he could keep Israel over thousands of years and bring them back, he can keep you. So fervent love to have in this moment, Matthew 24, 12, and 13 I've shared it before, but I still need to share it today before we close. As Jesus is talking about that time of the end, talking about the time surrounding his second coming and the day of the Lord, and there's many facets to all that chapter, but in verse 12 he says, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Yeah. So, fervent love, fervent concern, fervent care, seriousness. What are you serious about? What really matters to you as you sit here today? Many things, and I understand that, we're all people. There's things that are really important to you, and they consume your mind. Right? What are you worried about losing? Don't answer. Don't shout out. What are you worried about losing right now? Well, there's, it seems like God isn't 
worried about you losing those things. Unless they're like people who need Jesus. He is concerned about you losing love, agape, because lawlessness will abound because there'll be so much evil around you. The agape, that word for love is agape, which is in a sense, and just in a sense, reserved for speaking about in the Bible, the agape love of God, the all-giving, sacrificial love of God, which means for you to have that love in you, it's Jesus in you. And for you to let love grow cold isn't just to lose interest, lose your passion for the love of God, allowing him to put fire in you and hope in you and purpose in you for him and for others. See, when we're loving others, we're not consumed by our own desires. So we're less likely to be caught up in sinful patterns. God knows how life's supposed to work. Wise will we be if we follow his example, his plan, his heart. Because iniquity will be getting bigger, Christians will start to shrink in their love. Are you shrinking in your love for others? Or are you growing? Because you're not likely standing still. Are you growing in the love of God or shrinking? Well, as the team comes up to sing, as we pass communion, and we will in a minute, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover the multitude of sins. We place, come on up, you guys, we place God's love above all (laughs) because he placed it above all for us, didn't he? And in fact, as the communion's passed, we're going to sing the song above all because I'm not real bright, but I think that makes total sense (laughs) to sing the song that says above all. It was the only word that was used there. Would you hand me my guitar, please? Around this side. Thanks. So... As we begin to sing, the gentleman will come and bring you communion. You can hold it and wait. We're going to take it all together. Is that my cup? Good. Give me a second. And then we'll share communion together. I want us to have a little time in unity doing it. It's beautiful when we do it and let you come up by yourself. We're still in this all together. We can't really do all the time what the church, early church did from house to house, unless you're in a home group and do that. It's a beautiful thing. But we can have that heart of unity. That which unites us is greater than anything that can separate us. And that's what we're going to say when we take communion together. He who unites us is greater than anything that can separate us. Above all power, above all king, above all nature and all created things, above all wisdom and all the ways of man, you were here before the world began. Above all
God is love. It's not all he is, but he's 100% love and he's 100% righteous 
and he's 100% holy, and he's 100% every single other thing that he is. And we get to participate with him. Lord, if our hearts are hard, there's just stuff that's calloused them over. That makes it hard for you to penetrate. We also know it's not impossible for you to penetrate. So break through our hearts. Just as your body was broken for us that we might be made whole. We humble ourselves before you. Lord, we know that you don't restrict us in a way that restrains joy and burdens us, but you want to set us free, free from sin, free from its control over us and free from living under the strain of guilt or even the strain of our frustration with others. Cleanse us, Lord. Forgive us. Each as we seek you in our own heart for our own circumstance that we would present ourselves to you. That this might be more than a ceremony because it is more than a ceremony. It is a moment of encounter with you. It is a step in the direction of being healed by you. It is a time to experience a wholeness that we cannot produce in our own lives. Let your brokenness become our wholeness right now, Lord. Show each one of us what that means right now. For us, let us ask it, let us claim it and believe it. I am the bread of heaven who came down to give his life for the earth. For each person, Lord, that was you. You gave your life. Your body was broken to make us whole. You bore your stripes to make us healed. And Lord, we pray that we would take all that you have for us in this bread and receive all that you have for us in this moment and that we would unify in the only healing and strengthening that could ever happen in a long-term way is through you. And we do this together in Jesus' name. Jesus said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Drink all of it. I don't think, Lord, that you were worried about draining the cup before each of those disciples. 
as you were, con you were desiring and concerned that they would take fully the freedom that you have purchased, that you would purchase for them on the cross. Lord, that we would not hold back on you. You did not hold back on us. Above all, you gave yourself for us, Lord. God, meet us in the cup of blessing that we partake of. Meet us in the spiritual revival that comes through the work of your blood in a way that we can't understand physically and humanly. Take us in the spirit to a place of cleansing. We unite in this cup, Lord. No greater love has this than a man would lay down his life for his friends. And you laid down your life for us. You and where we don't think it can make a difference, where we struggle to believe it, thank you that you didn't struggle to believe that your work on the cross would accomplish and your resurrection would accomplish what we truly need. Wash our hearts, our motives. Wash our minds. Wash our minds, the minds that take us down roads that would destroy us if left to ourselves. Wash us and cleanse us. We partake of your blood in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, send us on our journey with expectation to see you accomplishing in, in tangible ways in our lives what we've just prayed in. That maybe there will be someone here for the first time is able to take this moment of communion and have an ongoing experience of understanding what really has happened here, what you are doing in their life in our life. Lord, we don't want to leave any of this here. We want it to go with us. We want you to go with us in the power of your Holy Spirit. We want you to remind us. We want to have conversations with you that enlighten us. We want you to remind us that your story is our story for us. And so we pray, have your way, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It is uh, a, a, a way to help you with communion is sometime at home on your own. Just get the juice and the bread 
and sit down either as a family or by yourself and just spend some time with the Lord over it. Um, it is real. You don't make it real. But you can do that in your own time with God. You have It's not just a right and a privilege. It really is a means of growing in your relationship with God. So take advantage of that. And take advantage of the body of Christ. Uh, expect that people want to hear from you and be with you. Because we do. And if you need prayer, we'll be here to pray with you today. Let's have the lights up and God bless you as you go on your week.